Uh, we are entering into a brand new Advent series, and Advent is really looking back at the past, at Christ's birth, looking into the future, into His second coming, uh, and really hopefully helping us in the present, allowing us to really live lives for Christ. And today, uh, we've entitled our series Gifts for the Goat because we ask, what should we get our family? What should we get our friends? But we never ask, what should we get for Jesus? And of course, we cannot get Jesus physical things. We can't build them a temple uh, that will please them. We cannot build, we cannot give him money or gold or, or those kinds of things. But scripture does tell us that we can give him things. And these things are spiritual in nature. They're, they're attached to our hearts. Uh, and so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different passages that explicitly talk about what God wants, what God desires. And today we're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 6, verses 6. We're, we'll look at 1 to 6, but we'll be looking specifically at 6, verses 6. And I want you to look at this first before we read the whole thing. Uh, but Hosea 6, 6 says this, For I, for I desire, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And that's what we'll be talking about today, that this is what God wants this Christmas from you and from me. So with that said, if you can, turn your Bibles to Hosea 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 6. If at this time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's word together? I will go ahead and read the passage for us. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, I'll pray for you, and then I'll seat you after the reading of God's word. Uh, Hosea 6, verses 1 to 6, the reading of God's word. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, today, we just have two points. If you're taking those uh, notes, you can write these two points down. We're looking at steadfast love, and then we're looking at, finally, the knowledge of God. Okay, steadfast love and the knowledge of God. Uh, well, this past uh, summer, I spoke at a youth retreat, and at this youth retreat, uh, if you grew up in church, you know the last night of the retreat is like the night, right? That's when everyone gives their life to Christ, they repent, they cry, they worship, they do all these sorts of things, right? And so, you know, as scheduled, last night of the retreat comes, and uh, they start worship at seven. They had six songs initially planned, okay, six songs, uh, and then they were going to have the sermon, and then ten songs after the sermon was done, okay? Uh, but at the beginning, at seven o'clock, they start, and and they sing these six songs, but the worship just keeps going on and on and on. So they're going uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50, um, an hour, and then they go for an hour and a half, two hours, and then I don't get up to preach till 10.30 p.m. So for three and a half hours, these students are worshiping God. They're sweating. It was summer. There was no AC, right? They're crying out to God. In fact, there was one kid who was literally crying so loud that it scared me. I mean, he was like, Aah! and I was like, whoa, what's going on? And people are crying in repentance, weeping tears of joy, singing hallelujah. And it was a beautiful picture of worship. It was a beautiful picture of repentance. And yet at the same time, inside of my soul, there was something going on. I was like, oh, I don't feel right. 
In fact, as the night went on and on, uh, my stomach started churning. I just didn't feel really good. So I stepped outside, maybe because, you know, there were like 150 students crammed into this small little space. They're all sweaty. Maybe all the carbon, you know, whatever is coming out of their breath, right? Maybe I'm bringing their breath. But I go outside and I kinda, I'm kind of sitting down and I, and, and I just I kind of pray and I just ask God, God, what's going on? Why do I feel this way? And all of a sudden, Matthew 6 comes to my mind. Matthew 6. Let me read for you Matthew 6. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Matthew 6, 1 through 6. Uh, Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so finally, when I went up to preach at 10.30 p.m., I had a passage in mind, but I switched it. And I preached initially on this. And I read this passage to the youth students, and this is what I said to them. I said, I love what I'm seeing right now. I said, it's such a beautiful picture of worship. But I said, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you go back home, will you continue to pray like this? Will you continue to worship like this? Will you continue to sing songs and repent and pray for your friends the way you are tonight? Because if you don't, here's really only two things that could be happening. One is if you do continue on, you can know with absolute assurance you did this because you love Jesus. Or number two, if it doesn't continue on, here's what I'm telling you right now. You did this as a show. You're showing off to your friends, look how pious and holy, look at how much I love Jesus, I'm crying, I'm weeping, I'm wailing, I'm doing all these things, and it's just a show that you're putting on for everyone else. But if, if you continue on, if you continue on in the quiet of your room, you pray, you worship God, you continue on going to Sunday worship, and you're praising God, if you continue on, then this love is genuine and this love is real. And this is what I want you to catch about this story is that sustained, continued devotion is what proves the validity of love, right? Sustained devotion, sustained love, continuous love is what proves devotion. I was listening to a podcast by this uh, journalist and he was talking about, uh, I think he's in his 40s now, but he was, he, from the time he could remember, when he was like five years old, he remembers telling his mom uh, when she asked him, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he was like, I want to be a journalist. And, and when he was a kid, he would like interview people. He would write articles. When he was in middle school, he would like write articles and, and interview people. And then when he was in high school, he wrote for the school newspaper. And then when he was in college, he, be, he became a journalist major, right? And then now he's a journalist. And so now his mom and dad look back at the time and they were like, it was not a phase. But it was continued, sustained love. Like he actually loved journalism. Sustained love is what will be able to determine whether or not that love was genuine or whether it was just a passing phase. And this leads us into our passage for today. The book of Hosea, let me just give you a little rundown. This book is wild. It is the most wild book in all of scripture, okay? You see, what God does occasionally with prophets is he does this thing called sign acts. And these sign acts are things that the prophet is to act out, but they serve almost as a parable to, to tack onto the message, to make the message more vibrant and more real. And so an example of this is the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel is filled with sign acts, right? He tells Ezekiel, hey, go to the street corner and, and, and eat a scroll, Eat, eat papyrus. And so Ezekiel does, he eats papyrus, right? He tells Ezekiel, go to the street corner and cut off all your hair and then chop it up into little pieces and show the people, right, the message. He tells Ezekiel, go build a little mini Jerusalem and siege an attack on it. He tells, the craziest thing he tells Ezekiel to do is he tells Ezekiel to lay down on his side to pretend like he's the scapegoat, to tie himself up. And then he's to cook food over poop for one year and eat that food that's cooked over poop because that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of worship that they have to God. It's like crazy stuff. Hosea is almost the same exact way. 
God comes to Hosea at the beginning of the book, and he gives him a sign act. But the sign act is wild. It's crazy. And this is in our Bibles. This is crazy, okay? He tells Hosea, get this, okay? He tells Hosea, go marry a prostitute. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, go marry a prostitute. In fact, go marry that girl named Gomer over there. And go have a relationship, and I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to work out. She's going to cheat on you every single which way. And so, actually, Jose does it. He goes and he marries this woman named Gomer. Uh, she goes out. She prostitutes herself with all these different men. She has three children, and each child's not Hosea's. It belongs to a different man. And yet, over and over again, God tells Hosea, go forgive her. Go wash her. Go cleanse her. Go receive her back. And over and over again, this is what Hosea does. In fact, at the final end, right, uh, Gomer actually owes money to all of these men. She, she, she borrows money from these men. She owes them money. All, you know, her attractive appeal kind of runs out. And so now these men are after her looking for money. And Hosea has to go now and pay off all of her debts and redeem her altogether. And God says, this is my relationship with Israel. And, and I would say, this is my relationship to the church today. I'm like you, Hosea. I'm steadfast in my love. I love you. And yet you keep running away to idols. You keep running away to all these different things. Your love is not sustained. It's like a person who goes away and has adulterous affairs all over, all the time. And this is precisely what's happening in our passage today. Look at me at verse 1. Verse 1 to 3 says this. This is actually what the Israelites are saying to God. Okay? God has been actually punishing them. He's been casting judgment upon them. He says, look, judgment is coming for you if you don't turn and repent. And listen to what the Israelites say. They say, come, come everyone, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Do you see what they're saying here? They're saying, look, God is going to judge us. He's going to condemn us. He's going to bring wrath upon us. We got to go back and repent. Okay, we got to go back. And so he says, look, if we go back to the Lord, he's like the morning cloud. He's like fog in the morning, right? The fog comes up, or sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, he's like the rain that comes out, right? It's sure, every spring it rains. He, he's like the dawn, right? The sun coming up. It always comes up every single day. God will surely come back to us. But look at what God says to them in verse 4. God responds now to the Israelites in verse 4. And he says, what shall I do with you, Ephraim? Ephraim is another word for Israel. He's like, what shall I do with you? If God is like at his wit's end, you're like, bro, there's something wrong. He's like, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Right? The morning cloud, what is that? That's fog. It's fog in the morning, right? It's there, and the sun comes out, and it's gone by the afternoon. He's saying, your love is like this. Your love is transitory. Your love, your piety is transitory. God is saying, look, I, I tried being gentle with you. I, I tried casting judgment upon you. Nothing is working now. And now here, look, you, I, I'm fed up with you, Ephraim. You, you keep coming back to me like this over and over again, saying you love me, saying you love me at a moment's notice. And then right, you're right back to what you're doing, idolatry, sinning, all of this other stuff. Your love is like a morning cloud, that, like the dew that goes early away. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, church, where you raise your hand in an altar call. The pastor preaches a message, and then he's like, hey, who wants to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior? And you made a decision. And 10 days later, you're living the same hellish life you were living before that, that, that profession of faith. You know, in America, we've boiled Christianity down to a decision, not a way of living, not a relationship with the living God. We boiled it down to a decision that you made. Hey, have you made a decision to live for Christ? Yeah, yeah, I have, I have. And you live however you want. 
Oh, but as long as I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that's fine. That's absolutely okay. And this is precisely what Hosea is getting at here. Basically, these Israelites came back and they're like, okay, like, I'm sorry, God, here's an offering. Here's a burnt offering. Here's a sacrifice for you. Okay, hey, I'm good, right? I'm a believer. I, I believe. I made a decision. And God's like, ah, oh, that seems very transitory to me. That doesn't seem sustained to me. You know, when I was 12 years old, I gave my life to Christ. I still remember this is the first time I gave my life to Christ in a real meaningful way. And the way it happened was I was at this uh, miniature like Christian camp. And it was like a week long. It, wasn't, it had nothing to do with our church. My mom just sent me. I think she wanted time away from me because, you know, I was such a, I was such a, a handful at that time. I go to this Christian camp. Four days in, the pastor gives this message. And the pastor gives a message something like this. At the end of the message, he says, if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will burn in hell for all of eternity. And I was like, eternity? I was like, number one, I don't even know if I want to live eternally. But number two, I have to burn for all of it? That, and, it uh, and I kind of joke about it now, but it was scary. I mean, as a 12-year-old, I was like, I, I don't even, I've only lived 12 years. But think about 12 times forever. It never ends. And so I got really scared. And he said this. He said, come up, receive Christ. Come up to the altar, receive Christ. Uh, but I was too shy. I was too shy. So I, I, I stayed seated. But later on that night, I woke up my camp counselor. I said, hey, can I receive Christ? I gave my life to Christ because of fear. And I gave my life because of, but you know what? I went home that next weekend and I lived however I wanted to. But I had this ticket now. I had this ticket to heaven saying, okay, I'm out of hell. Here I, here I go, Jesus. And this is what we boil Christianity down to in America. It's just a ticket to heaven. Here, I got the ticket, Jesus. I got the ticket. I made the decision. Here it is. And God's like, no, it's not about a ticket. It's not a one-time decision. It is a continued, sustained love. Look, here's a math equation I came up for you, okay? I know lots of you are engineers, so you like math, okay? Here's my math, okay? Transitory love equals fake love, right? If I tell my wife I love her, and then I just do whatever I want, I don't, I don't, I don't follow, right? It's transitory love. It's, it's fake love. It's not real. That's zero, okay? That gets a zero, Okay. Sustained love, okay, it's genuine, right? If you're th with somebody, thick and thin, right, through death do us part, you're with them, right? You're bros for life, right? That's real love. That's genuine love. And that equals 100, okay? Now, transitory love times 100 burnt offerings. You come before God, right? You're like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I repent, right? Transitory love, 100 times over. What does zero times 100 equal? Zero. This is why God says, I don't want your burnt offerings. I don't want your sacrifices. It means nothing to me. Because your love is transitory. Your, tra your love is fake. It's not real. So every time you come back, like, it's, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's zero. A hundred times zero, zero. A thousand times zero, zero. It's fake because it's transitory. But continued love, sustained love times one burnt offering. Right? Think about the boy who comes to Jesus with uh, two, bread, uh, two fish and, and five loaves of bread. When right? he gives it to you, right? one offering times a hundred equals a hundred. It's so much more. And so let's get to the crux of this now. Jesus wants what in verse 6, right? He says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. This word steadfast in the Hebrew or steadfast love in the Hebrew is hesed. And hesed means it, there's no translatable word in English. Because in English, and you know, you can determine culture by language, right? In English, we just have one word, love. And we use love for burritos. We use love for tacos. We use love for, you know, marriage. We use love for everything. But in Hebrew, they have this word hesed, which means a sustained, continuous loyal love through anything and everything. Like, it doesn't matter. Nothing can separate you from this love. It is steadfast. 
It is the kind of love that is there through the good times, the hard time. It is the kind of love we express through our wedding vows. And so here's the question. Do you have real love for Christ? Do you have a sustained love? Do you have a steadfast love? Or is it a transitory love that you come back to? Or maybe even if I could say this, a transactional love that you have with Christ. Look, will you make not one decision for Christ, but will you make hard decisions for Jesus? Not just one time that require no surrender, no sacrifice, but will you make hard decisions? Will you choose to love Jesus when it's unpopular to love him? Will you choose to love Jesus even though he's not blessing you right now and you feel cursed by God? Will you continue to love him? Will you choose to wake up early and meet Jesus in the morning in your devotions even though it's hard? Will you, will you choose to make Sabbath a priority and come out to Sunday worship and rest and stop and delight in God? Will you choose to obey Jesus even when it's inconvenient, hard, and sometimes even backwards? Will you choose to be there through thick and thin? Or will you bounce at the first sign of hardship? What? I didn't realize Christianity, had to, you had to do that. You got to wake up and pray? Oh, too comfortable for me. No, no, thank you, Jesus. Look, let me... I'm, I'm, let me just address a few populations in the room here, okay? The first one is if you're not a believer in here and you're seeking Christ, I, I just want to welcome you. I'm so, so glad that you're here today. I really, really am. To sit in a room with people who disagree with you uh, uh, and you disagree with them, man, that is bold, that is courageous, and I'm glad that you're here. And if you're not a follower yet and you're thinking about making a decision to follow Jesus, he doesn't want to transform your life just a little bit. Look, here's the deal. Jesus wants all of your life. And I know what you're saying. You're like, whoa, bro, like, I, I just got here. I just showed up like, hey. I, but, but here's the thing. Jesus tells us to count the cost. In Luke chapter 14, he says this in verse 28. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my, my disciple. Now, I know, it sounds, I know it sounds so like crazy, right? But here's why Jesus says this. It's because if you make a decision, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I follow Jesus. And then the next moment you live like hell, you know what you're doing? You're, you're, you're telling people who Jesus is like. Because the scriptures tell us now you're an ambassador of Christ. And when you live like hell and you proclaim Christ, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're creating this dissonance in culture. Where people are like, that's what a Christian is? Oh, why? Why? Why should I want that? So Jesus is like, look, if you're not ready to follow me, that's okay. But just don't call yourself a follower. It's okay. Just, but just don't call yourself a follower if you're not going to follow me. Count the cost first. Because I'm sure so many of you in this room have been hurt by Christians. And, and probably one of the reasons why is because you had somebody who made a decision but never really lived their lives for Jesus. Look, but here, even though Jesus wants everything, look here, let me just, let me just share this with you, okay? I think he's worth it. Even though he costs you a lot, he's worth it. He's completely and absolutely worth it. Let me just take a little side tangent here. We have these things called deep desires, and then we have these things called strong desires. Deep desires are things like love, joy, happiness. Okay? Strong desires are things like lust and pleasure and appetite. And let's be real, right? The things that we really, really want are the deep desires. The strong desires, yeah, we think we want them, but they're just strong. Like physical health, for example, that's a deep desire. All of us want to be healthy. We want to live a long life so we can be with our kids, be healthy, be happy, right? We want those things. But what, what's the strong desire? The strong desire is a piece of cake. It's a fried food. It's these things, right? And in the same way, yes, 
Yes, there are deep desires in your life. And in your, on your deathbeds, no one, no one's ever going to be like, oh, I wish I had more strong desires. I wish I had more food. I wish I had more sex. I wish I had more pleasure. No, people are always saying, I wanted this. I didn't love enough. I wasn't charitable enough in my life. I, I wasn't self-sacrificing. I was selfish in my life. These are the kinds of things that people talk about. These are deep desires. And here's the, here's the thing. Jesus, if you follow Jesus, he will fulfill your deepest desires. He will. Your deep desires, he will fulfill them. And yet he will ask you to give up your strong desires for those deep desires, just like anything else in life. And yet those deep desires are truly fulfilling, friends. And I'm telling you, it's worth it to follow Jesus. Let me address now a second population, the Christian whose fire has fizzled up. Jesus doesn't want just a season of your life. He wants all of it. This is what he means when he says, I want all of it, right? He doesn't mean that he wants you to go sell all your possessions. He literally means he wants all of your life. Like not just five years, not just 10 years. He wants all of it. So in other words, let me put it like this, okay? Look, and, and uh, look, let me put it like this, okay? You never ever retire from Christianity. Like you don't retire from it. You retire from your jobs, but you never retire from surrendering, from sacrificing, from giving, from worshiping, from delighting in God. You never ever stop those things. You never retire from it. This thing happens in Christian circles where for some of us, right, if we grew up in the church, we look back at our younger years and we're like, oh, I served, I worshiped, I was a part of a small group, that time was so fulfilling for me, but now, like, I paid my dues. I've done my time, I've done my, you know, I paid my taxes, I've done all those things, that's fine, like, but now I get to just enjoy, I get to enjoy and look, I, I get the sentiment. Some of you in here need a heal. Some of you have had church trauma and you're here healing. But, but for, but, and, and you need that season of life to heal. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But for some of us, we look at those past spiritual successes, those victories, and we're like, okay, I'm good now. I did my time. I served. I don't got to do any more of it. I don't got to worship God anymore. I don't got to be you know, devoted to my devotionals because I had that time. Did the, you know, been there, done that. And Christian, can I challenge you? Not out of guilt, but out of love. Sustain your love. Is your love sustained? Are you serving today and worshiping God today and doing your devotionals today like you did in the past? You know, Paul in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he puts it like this. A lot of times Christians, miss, uh, they misinterpret this passage. But look at what it says in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? He's saying that faith is a marathon. It never ends until you die. But he says the one thing that will block us from running this marathon is what lies behind us. Because sometimes if a runner looks this way and they're running, they're going to run into a wall. But do you know what he's talking about when he says look behind? People think it's shame, guilt, fear, those things. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual success. Saying people look back at their past, go read Philippians, go read it. He talks about his own spiritual successes and how he has to forget that. He's saying, look, I can't live back there. I, I got to keep pressing on. Yeah, I served a lot. I gave a lot. I was a part of a community group. I worshiped. I did all these things. But I still got to do that today. I'm still running this race. Jesus is calling us to sustain his steadfast love. Christian, this means that Jesus wants all of you for the rest of your life till you die. Now, look, I'm not saying that your serving and your worship have to be exactly the same as in the past. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Of course. But what I'm saying is your devotion to Jesus should never, ever change. Your devotion to him should never change. And, of course, your serving, your sacrificing at church will change here and there. But your devotion to Jesus should never change. 
If you shared the gospel back then, you should share it like you did back then. Are you still talking about your faith like you did back then as you do today? Are you still leading others to Christ? Are you still serving Christ in your own way? Are you still worshiping as you did before? Are you still doing your devotions as you used to? Look, let me give you an example of this, right, of this kind of changing, like your devotion to Jesus never changing, but maybe your serving at church has changed, okay? I, I, I talked about him at our last service. I put him on the spot, but, uh, but I'm, you know, it, it was encouraging. I, hopefully it was encouraging for him, but, and I never asked him if I could do this because I knew he would have said no to me. But uh, if you guys know Elder Sonny, and his wife, Sarah, they, like, of course, Jesus Christ built this church, the Holy Spirit built this church, but if there was, like, a human entity that built this church, it was probably Elder Sonny and Sarah. They served and they sacrificed so hardcore for this church. And I, I met up with him this past week, and I told him, I said, Elder Sonny, I, I, you know, I know you don't care about this stuff, so I, you know, I know this doesn't mean anything to you, but I, I want to share with you, like, like, everything you see that's happening at this church that is meaningful to, you, uh, to, to anybody here, it's all because of the sacrificing and serving you've done in the past. And I just want you to, I just want you to hear that from me because you don't, you don't get enough credit for that. And, and here's the thing. He served so hard. He served, and he's a retired elder now. He used to be active. Now he's retired. But, but here's the thing. His serving has never stopped. He still serves today. He was leading a CG. Yes, he stepped out, but now he's leading bridge groups. You got to see, when you talk to Elder Sonny and Sarah about the church, they still have the same anxieties about the church that they do back then. They're still just as involved. Elder Sonny's always calling me saying like, hey, can you update me about the church? Can you tell me about the church? Can you tell me what's going on? I've been praying about this. I've been praying about that. Uh, Sarah's still praying about the church, praying about that. She still has concerns about the church. All the, right? They still love this church so much. And they still love the people of this church so much. They still love Jesus so much. They still pray. They still worship. They're always the first one in, last one out on Sundays. They love Jesus so much, and they've been doing this for 30, 40 plus years. In fact, they're the one family in our church that has three generations of Christians. They have their grandchildren, their children, and themselves all worshiping at this church. It's probably because God has been doing something in their life. This is sustained devotion and energy to Jesus. And yes, at certain times it looks different ways. But, but what I can tell you is that their devotion has remained the same to Jesus all throughout their lives. Look, let me finally address one last uh, group of Christians. The, those of you in this room who made a one-time decision for Christ. And there are some of you in this place who made a one-time decision a long time ago. And if someone asks you what religion you are, you say Christian. But nothing in your life is different. Nothing in your life has changed. And look, I'm saying this out of love. I just want to say that's not the description of Christianity that Jesus had for you. Jesus wanted a full life of love, of service, of sacrifice, of surrender to him. And can I call you, can I challenge you to that kind of life? That decision you made 10, 12, 20, 30 years ago, I don't know how long ago, can I challenge you to actually look back at those words and to say maybe they were meaning something? Because here's the thing, if you live today for Christ, those words have meaning. They actually have some sustained love in it. And can I encourage you with just the first step, okay? First step is this. Just pray for five minutes a day. Just pray for five minutes. And then, and then if, you, if you get good at that, then do 10 minutes. And then if you get good at 10 minutes, then here's the thing. Maybe start making Sunday worship a priority. And then just do that for a while. And then join a community group. It's a step-by-step -step process. It's a journey. It takes a while. But, but can I just challenge you to the first step? Pray five minutes a day. Just pray five minutes a day. This leads us to our second and final point, the knowledge of God. Look, let me summarize, okay? This Christmas, Jesus doesn't want a quick sacrifice. He doesn't want a quick decision. Jesus wants sustained, continuous love. 
And so where do we go for this deep transformational love where our love is sustained and it never wavers? Let's look on in verse 6, right? He says not only does he want steadfast love, but he says this, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This knowledge of God is the word yada, okay? And it's a Hebrew word that means to know, but it's not like in America to know facts. It's a deep kind of knowledge. It's a wisdom kind of knowledge, um, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but, uh, but it's a good way to remember this word. But, uh, you know, if you know, George Lucas is a Jewish person, right? And he wrote Star Wars, and it has a lot of Judeo influences in it. Well, Yoda, right, what is he? He's knowledgeable, right? So I wonder if he named Yoda after Yoda, but I don't know. That, that could be just coincidence. But anyhow, it's a mnemonic device for you, okay? So now you remember, okay? Yoda was knowledgeable. Yada means knowledge, okay? But this word, Yada, is also used in Genesis. It's used between Adam and Eve, when Adam knew Eve, he had sexual relations with her. And this is the Hebrew word yada. It means like a deep knowledge, a deep knowledge of somebody else. And so let me give you an example of this, okay? Uh, Pastor Kenny and I have known each other for 20 plus years now. And when we first met was here at this church. And I had a lot of factual knowledge about Kenny. Okay, for example, when I met him, I was in college, he was in high school. But, but he, one thing I knew about him factually was that he was incredibly popular. Everybody knew who he was. Everyone really liked him. And he had this kind of like, um, not this kind of like outwardly popularity, but he had this mysterious shroud popularity. I don't know if you've met those people who are kind of mysterious, but they're like, ooh, they're so cool. You know, that's the kind of popularity Kenny had. He was cute, dressed well, he had cool hair, he led worship, right? Um, and, and that's what I knew about him. But then, of course, we became friends. And then I had, started having experiences with him. And we started growing in friendship with each other because I experienced him. I got to know him. He wasn't just a worship leader anymore. He wasn't just a face at church. He was somebody that I was beginning to know intimately. In fact, there was one incident where we were driving down a windy road. One of our friends uh, was driving down a windy road, and we got into a car accident. And that experience uh, for us together actually grew us deeper in our friendship. We oftentimes talk about that experience of how we got into a car accident together. And, and everybody in the car didn't get hurt except for Kenny. Kenny had a bum knee after that. He was the only one that got hurt. Here's the thing. Do you know just facts about Jesus or do you know him intimately? Do you just know things about Jesus or do you know him intimately? John Eldridge, he wrote a book called Wild at Heart. It's wildly popular in Christian circles, but I was listening to a podcast where he talks about these three levels of the heart. He talks about the uh, shallows, right? The shallows, he talks about, uh, sorry, the shallows, uh, the midlands, and then he calls it the depths. And so in any relationship, right, the heart kind of moves towards the shallows, the midlands, or the depths. And so the shallows are things like talking about how's the rain, how's the weather, right? How's the Seahawks, right? They're losing. Sucks, right? Uh, they lost three in a row. Uh, how are the Huskies doing? Praise God. Hallelujah, right? They're, they're moving on, right? Um, it's cultural. It's banter, right? It's loose. It's just kind of connecting at the surface level. Then you have the midlands, right? Midlands are where a lot of us are at. It's personal anxiety. We talk about personal anxiety, situational concerns, stuff is tight at work, stress of my marriage, bad date, it's shaking my faith, right? These kinds of things. And then finally, there's the depths. And the depths are this. It's the person we really are that people rarely get to meet. It's the person we really are that people rarely ever get to meet. How do you get to the depths? How do you get to the depths in human relationships? I'll tell you, it's trust. Right? This is what Yada is. Yada is all about trust. You have to have trust with somebody to reveal yourself, to open up your body to them, and to let them into your very own physical body. This is Yada. And, and in the same way, if you want to get to the depths with Christ, you have to trust Him. We have to trust the person with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And so do you trust God? 
Do you have a deep, abiding trust in his character that he is your heavenly father? And if you're wondering, like, I, I don't know, do I trust him? Do I trust him? Here's the question for you. Do you obey him? Because when you obey him, you're saying, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so let me give you a small example, okay? This is not to guilt you or to do any of that, okay? This is just a small example, okay? We went through the Sabbath series a, a little bit ago, okay? And in that Sabbath series, we challenged you that the Sabbath is one of the clearest commands in all of Scripture. Like, literally it is. If you read through the Bible, you know this. The Sabbath is so clear, and yet it is the most frequently broken command by all Christians across the board, including myself. And yet what is Sabbath? Sabbath is stopping your work. It is resting. It is delighting. And it is worshiping with the body of believers together. And yet we all, we all do not Sabbath. Why? Because we don't trust God. We say, God, like, uh, uh, but I can't really rest if I go to church. Like, you know, I'm an introvert, so I got to be extroverted on Sundays. I can't really rest. Like, I need rest. And, but worship doesn't really rest me. And God's like, trust me. Worship rests you. Trust me. Oh, but uh, don't, you know, I got I to gotta just get one hour of work done. And God's like, trust me, stop your work. Don't do any of it on Sundays. Yeah, but I got to do all these chores, and if they don't get done, I won't rest much. Do you trust God? Get it done on the six days, and then rest on the seventh. Oh, but I need to take my kids to sports and all these things, and I know that's a sensitive subject, parents, but, but God is saying, do you trust me with your kids? Like that if they don't play every sport under the sun, that they'll actually turn out okay. They'll still love me. And look, it's okay not to trust God. I'm not guilting you. I'm just saying if you don't trust God, the result is that you will never really know him. You'll never have times of sweet experiences with Jesus. Talk to all the great Christians. I, go find great Christians in this room. I'm telling you, there, there are. And go talk to them and tell them, and they'll tell you about their sweetest times with Jesus. And you know when their sweetest times are? I'm, I'm telling you, I guarantee it. Their sweetest times is when they trusted Jesus. They're like, oh boy, like I had all these bills to pay and, you know, but I, I but you know what, like I, I just surrendered it to Christ and I gave charitably to this donation, I gave charitably to this cause and God provided. You know, like I, I felt like God was telling me to move to this city. And you heard it from, uh, from, from our missionaries today. Like, oh, we didn't know what to do. We were supposed to go to Japan, but we ended up here in Taiwan. We had to trust Jesus with all of this stuff, but that's where they met him. If you want to meet Christ and have a deep knowledge of him, then we have to begin trusting him with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strengths. What I love about this passage is sort of interesting, right? Actually, the Israelites have the right knowledge about God. Even though they don't know him deeply, they kind of know him, actually. Look at verse 2. They kind of prophesy, actually, about Jesus. Verse 2 says, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that he may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And in some sense, what they're predicting and prophesying is the coming of Jesus when he dies and is raised up in three days. And do you know what Hosea is telling us here? He's saying this, that even though you and I have, have had, you know, this kind of love that's transitory, Jesus' love has been steadfast since the beginning. His love never ceases, and the Israelites get that wrong. They're like, if we go to him, he's going to revive us. If we go to him, he's going to save us. If we go to him, he's going to forgive us, and it is absolutely true. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. His love is steadfast. This is why you and I can have steadfast love, because he's the first to say, I love you. And I'm going to be here with you. Neither, uh, nothing in all the earth can separate me from you. 
because I love you. His love is steadfast and nothing on planet earth can break it. Not even death itself. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. And because of that, he's showing you that his love for you is steadfast. And church, I'm calling you. I'm calling you out to say, will you return that steadfast love with steadfast love? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I, um, I'll be the first to confess, Lord, that my love has been wavering. My love is transitory as well, Lord. And Lord, it is even tough for me in the, in the moments of my life, Lord, to be faithful and devoted to you. And yet, Lord, you have been so faithful to me and to my family. And Lord, I know for many of us in here, Lord, our first move is also repentance, Lord. We confess to you communally, Lord, that we've run to the idols of this world. We're just like Gomer. We've run away and we've committed so much adultery against you, Lord. And yet, Lord, you receive us time and time again because your love is steadfast. And so, Lord, teach us, Lord. Teach us to be steadfast in our love, unwavering in our love to you and our devotion to you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, to love you more deeply and more passionately because, Lord, we know that you are life and that if we love you, Lord, we are loving life itself. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.